Welcome, Lin Soon. I'm so excited to interview you today for the AdDot podcast. And I'm sure everybody's going to gain uh, a lot of great information about Service Mesh and related topics. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. I'm excited to be here. Could you tell us something about your background? And you, you currently work for Solo uh, Systems, but what have you been doing over the past you know years that you've been in the industry? Yeah, so I actually joined IBM almost 20 years ago. And I was graduating out of college and <laughs> just landed a job there. And I never thought of, you know, moving out of IBM. I thought I would actually just retire, you know, at IBM. But because of the pandemic, so I've been, sorry, I forgot to mention what I was doing at IBM. So I've been a software engineer, started in testing, and then moved to development and then moved to uh, team lead and software architect at IBM. So my last job at IBM, I was uh, leading a team of developers at IBM contributing to the Istio open source project. So as you know, IBM was a founding member of the Istio project. So it's a really good job. I love it. I never you know, thought about moving out of IBM. But because of the pandemic, you know, sometimes you have a lot more free time and you start to think through what if a different job, right? It all happens at an interesting timing that service mesh is really, you know, faster grow, growing. And, uh, you know, I had uh, Edith Levin, uh, the founder of Solo, reach out to me and um, it just resonated with me. Very cool. Now I have to say, um, well, the topic of of patents in technology, software, and so forth is not always a popular topic because sometimes there are these, um, you know, companies, people, whatever that are kind of called patent trolls who create patents around things that actually may already exist, but they want to capture that technology and profit from it. But let's just. Uh, um, state for the record that you are not a patent troll, but you have how many patents to your name? Uh, I'm definitely not a patent troll. And before I leave IBM, I think I have 207 issues. There's probably more now. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, it's been an amazing journey at IBM doing patents. It's like my site side hustle, right, <laughs> what I do um, outside of work at IBM. And our company was very supportive of that effort. Um, let me tell you, most of my patents are nothing related to my job. It's actually um, a lot of time I was using social media, I was using my mobile phone, I thought of what if this, what if that, and then we brainstorming in a patent group and then we were like, well, this is really interesting. Uh, we haven't seen anybody implement this. Why don't we, you know, go through the patent process and, uh, you know, see if it's a, it's a valid patent. And uh, it's just been fascinating to see your idea. You know, people like your idea and people willing to write out a patent application for your idea. Yeah, it's interesting. So about 207 patents and coming from someone who has you know, or hearing this, and I'm a person who has zero patents and never even attempted one, it's pretty amazing. And uh, so instead of maybe a patent troll, maybe you're more like a patent hobbyist or something like that. So that's, yeah, that's, that's, it's that's kind of good. like a hobbyist. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, our company kind of reward us really well, too. Like, we got a lot of money out of patents. Um, the whole IBM system was also building your career, technical career on patents, too. Like, my role at IBM, I was a senior technical staff member. And in order for you as an engineer to promote to that level, you have to have at least, I think, one or two patents issued. So it's an interesting dynamics at IBM. So they certainly couldn't ignore you. That's, that's good. <laughs> now, you, you leave IBM, you go to this startup which as I understand it has actually become very, very successful. And I think you landed a very 
uh, recently landed a very large, um, what is it, uh, round B or something like that of, of funding? Um, yeah, we just had a round C. Uh, it's a one billion valuation. Yeah, it's 100 plus million for our round C that we, we got the money from venture capitals. It's amazing. Yeah, it was a very, I would say it's a pretty risky decision, right? When I joined Solo with February this year, it, the company just went through round B, I believe, towards the end of last year. So it was a pretty risky situation for me to join. It's like a startup, you don't have a lot of money. There's a lot of talents in this company, right? How am I going to survive, right? And plus, you know, I have family I need to take care of. You know, kids were working from home early this year. Finally, they're back to school. Just a lot of things to think through. But on the other hand, I thought of, you know, what if I don't take this role? You know, I think I'm going to regret, you know, in a few years. So that's what triggers me to move. Yeah, that's, that's uh, really a nice story actually and and i think the um grassroots kind of concept of wow this looks so um interesting to me you know so compelling that i have to leave this kind of secure you know place where i can actually thrive it's not just secure but i'm having a good time at ibm and i'm thriving and and so forth and yeah but i want to take some risk here because i believe in this so that's that's a really great um uh story now I think probably like me, a lot of people know something about service mesh, but maybe we're not, you know, experts in it. So coming from uh, an expert in service mesh, you, what would you say, how do you explain service mesh and how does Istio, the product play into that? Yeah, so I think service mesh is a really interesting space, especially with developers are looking into moving their monolithic to microservices, I think COVID really helps our users adapting microservices and distributed cloud, right? So service mesh plays a critical role in that space by instead of each developer in their services to solve the problem of Network are not always reliable. You can't really trust anybody. You have to secure your connections. You have to check the identity before you allow the connection. You have to think out how do you observe what's going on within your microservices. So instead of relying on each developer to solve these challenges in their microservices, service mesh provide an interesting way to solve that at the framework level by injecting this Envoy sidecar proxy into each of your microservices and help you to solve that connect, secure, and observe problem, right? Um, so in when we talk about service mesh, there's typically um, the data plane, which has the Envoy sidecar, and also the control plane. So the control plane really is to help user to transform their intention of how they want to program the Envoy sidecar uh, using a simplified language provided by the service mesh um, project and then transform that into the complicated language that only your sidecar proxy can understand. In the case of Envoy proxy, which Envoy proxy configuration are not meant to be used by human because the simple configuration could be like thousands of lines. It's very hard to understand. So that's the big value service mesh is trying to provide to our end user. First of all, uh, to help them solve this connect, secure, observe problem. Second of all, to help them solve this problem in a simple way through control plane configuration, through unique API to allow user to config the connect, secure, and observe configurations. Uh, Istio is the leading service mesh project out there. I would say Istio is definitely the most uh, dominant service mesh in production today. Um, based on the survey, the most recent CNCF survey, uh, we saw Istio is uh, clearly leading uh, in this space. I think the Istio adoption last time I saw 
was twice as much as uh, LinkedIn and Console Connect, which are the second and third in terms of adopt adoption. Thanks, that's a really good explanation. Now, can you just tell us a little bit more about a sidecar? So in the in terms of an application or microservice that's, that's uh, using Istio and Solo's uh, distribution, what am I not only getting, but how does it actually work with my microservice? Yeah, that's a great question. So the, the sidecar is a critical piece of your infrastructure. So this is something you want to choose very carefully, right? I mentioned Envoy sidecar, that's one implementation of the sidecar, uh, which is the most common uh, sidecar implementation used by many of our service mesh projects from Istio to uh, AWS App Connect to Open Service Mesh to Kong's Kuma. We all landed on this sidecar proxy provided from Envoy. So that's one thing uh, when you're trying to learn a little bit about sidecar proxy. Um, choose one that you can trust and battle test in production environment is important, which we know Envoy is very well tested in production environment, and it's a graduate CNCF project and all that. So that's number one. The number two is uh, the sidecar proxy is going to capture all the incoming traffic and all the outgoing traffic for you. Um, by configuring the IP tables for the pod namespace. So the moment you have the sidecar um, injected to your microservice, it's kind of a changing your networking behavior by that capture of inbounding, uh, inbound and outbound traffic. So you have to make sure the service mesh you're picking, you know, is capable to have flexibility to allow you to kind of control uh, in the scenario that you may not want to start your application container until your sidecar proxy is ready, or you might want to have gracefully sequence shutdown between your application container and sidecar container, right? So those are the capabilities. It's also very important to watch out for when you select a service mesh. Um, the third thing I think is also very interesting that mis a lot of misconception about service mesh and performance, people are asking, you know, how much is the sidecar is adding to the latency to my services, right? I think that's one angle to look at it. The other angle you really want to look at is what's the latency I'm also going to introduce if I'm actually doing the work the sidecar is doing, right? Because somebody has to do the work, whether you do the work in the sidecar proxy to solve that connect, secure, and observe problem with distributed cloud and distributed microservices. Um, so if you solve that problem in your own application container, what are the latency you might be introducing, right? And also imagine solving that problem for different languages, because your application may have more than one languages. So you have to kind of measure performance of all that, developing a language pack and all that. So those are the values um, and angles you want to take a look uh, as you evaluate which sidecar solution is right for you and what's the value sidecar is adding to you. Very um, well explained, thank you. So a lot of people who listen to this podcast, frankly, are kind of like, you know, domain-driven design, uh, interested individuals or practitioners. And so they might look at this conversation and say, yeah, but what does, you know, Service Mesh, Istio, Envoy, any of these uh, kind of components have anything to do with domain-driven design? Well, <laughs> Of course, much of the domain-driven design um, kind of, you know, efforts reflect a microservices um, architecture because, um, well, when we want to separate bounded contexts one from the other and make that clean break, a lot of people decide to make that break very physical, right, using microservices. So do you think that is a, 
a good reason for domain-driven design practitioners to consider Istio to, to help them? What do you think? That's a really good question. So I think the first thing we want you to look at is for folks using domain-driven design, is microservice part of their design, right? So if microservice is part of the design, um, it could be interesting to look at a service mesh project. The second thing I want them to think through is um, how many microservices do they have, right? What are the programming language of their microservices? Um, the reason is if you just have one programming language, maybe the value of bringing service mesh is very minimum because at the end of the day, you are comparing with I need language pack for my language to do this connect secure and observe problem was I'm actually need to learn this service mesh thing and I need to learn how to operate the service mesh, right? And be able to upgrade and all that. Um, so there's a learning curve you have to balance. If it's one language, you may find out it's not worth your time, if, especially if you already have that language pack doing your own thing. So that's um, the second thing I would encourage them to check uh, the third thing I would say is also check if your organization has some of the um, like GitHub pipeline, like the cloud native infrastructure, like observability system, Grafana, uh, you know, these uh, uh, premises, these type of environment to help you observe what's going on within your microservices. Because if you don't have these environments, maybe the observed value from Istio is not going to be interesting for you because you're not ready yet, right, to be able to observe the activities among your microservices. So you want to look at your infrastructure because we do recommend users to use GitHub pipeline to push through their Istio service mesh configuration so that they can propagate that to multiple cluster and rollback if needed. So it's important to have an automated process to support your service mesh adoption. Yeah, and I can say that using GitHub as sort of like, um, let's push this to test or push this to production right now. I mean, that's that's a pretty amazing option that we have a, as a company and team, uh, Vlingo have been using for some time now. And it's really amazing how productive that is. But as you say, I mean, this is a very forthright answer from you saying it may not actually be something that you need. So you're not here just trying to sell licenses for solo, right? Um, you're, you're actually being pragmatic about this and it's very good advice. So appreciate you doing that. Now, you, of course, there are many, uh, let's say, obstacles or challenges to adoption overall. Did that sort of summarize all of the adoption concerns or are there any others? Yeah, definitely. So we talk about operation concerns, right? So first of all, learn a service mesh. So first of all, actually, before you learn a service mesh, you need to um, be able to select the right service mesh for you. So it, it actually typically means you need to learn multiple of them and select the right one for you. So once you landed on the right service mesh for you, then you, you have to focus on, you know, what is the most important thing from service mesh that you want to focus on? adopt that one thing first and keep iterate on that, right? And then the, the next thing you are probably going to look at is, okay, there's a CVE out there, right? Uh, how am I going to upgrade my control plane? How am I going to upgrade my data plane? Wait, the, is there a downtime, right? Let's make sure we don't have a downtime. Let's make sure the data plane can stay up during the upgrade. So those are the things uh, you have to look through. And then as you get comfortable with single cluster, uh, the next thing you might need to look at is how do I running my services across multiple cluster. Maybe, you know, some of my services are running on-premise, some are in AWS cloud. Um, how do I have a priority-based failover, right? So I can send the traffic to my local cluster. If my local cluster, the service in my local cluster is not healthy, can I fall back to my service in 
a different cloud or a different Kubernetes cluster. So these are a little bit more complicated problem that you probably need to tackle when you need higher availability beyond a single cluster. So that's uh, the other angle. The other, the, the next angle you probably need to look at is if you need to build a little bit of customization, right? If you need to extend beyond what it still provides. Um, by either writing through Envoy filter or using uh, WebAssembly. So these are the different options it still provides. Um, so there's actually a lot more just, you know, beyond the install and upgrade and, uh, you know, pick a simple scenario to iterate. Uh, as you grow, uh, there's extension aspect you have to focus. There's multi-cluster aspect you have to focus. Uh, yeah, a lot of question to be answered, I would say. Depends on, you know, really your scenario and requirements. Yeah, so yeah, a lot to think about. Would you say that there are some service mesh, um, service meshes that are sort of simpler or easier to get into and maybe just try out service mesh that doesn't take so much configuration and operational control that you know, so outside of Istio and, and Envoy, what what might someone use just to try it out first? That's a great question. Uh, Istio certainly uh, was perceived as not very simple, right? People, some of the user perceive Istio as not very simple. And I tend to agree with that in the first two years on the project. I, this is like my fifth year on the project now. Um, in the first two years, um, because of the bugs we have in the system and also because of we were not as much focused on simplicity of over user, uh, it's actually uh, pretty hard to get Istio up running and, uh, you know, get the psychi injected, you know, just get the basic behavior of service mesh. Um, these days, I would say Istio is actually a lot more mature now. It's designed to handle simple scenarios as well. Um, I would say most simple scenario is mutual TRS, right? I want to enable mutual TRS among two or three or five of my microservices. And Istio does that very well through one single resource. All you need to do is just apply that single resource uh, either globally or on a particular uh, service or on a particular namespace. And then you're done. You enable the sidecar would automatically upgrade your connection from the source service to the target service uh, with mutual TRS and also automatically handle certificate rotation for you, for your service. I think every 12 hours we do that. So that's a pretty simple scenario to do something with Istio. And uh, in fact, a lot of users I work with, uh, they always start with adopting Istio because their security team said, hey, you must have your connection secured. And uh, you know, the the easiest way to do that is using a service mesh like Istio. But some things with Istio are not so straightforward. Multi-cluster is definitely one of the examples. Uh, it could be pretty hard to get it running and troubleshooting, you know. Um, Envoy filter, the extension I talk about could be complicated. So it really depends on what you are trying to achieve. Some of the simple scenario, you know, are doable without any application code change. Um, but some of the more complicated scenario does require like the propagate uh, B3 headers, you have to make code changes to your application to make sure the headers are propagate. And that's a requirement across all the service meshes, not just Istio. Thank you. So um, let's say that, that I mean, there, there are maybe many companies who are thinking ahead and saying, well, we're going to use this architecture, therefore we need a service mesh. But other companies, and maybe even more so, are reacting to situations that they've run into. And they're like, what are we going to do about these you know, downtimes? What are we going to do about controlling all the microservices and observability and things like that? Um, can Solo offer expertise around training and consulting in those areas? Or are you purely a product company that 
you know, doesn't want to be involved in that? How, how does someone adopt Istio, you know, in a hurry? That's a great question. Um, to adopt Istio in a hurry, in your words, I think the right way is to find a partner, right? Find someone who can handhold you through the process so it's much less error prone. Um, so your absolute solo offers like glue mesh product, uh, which help user to simplify their Istio adoption. We also offer Istio support so you can use upstream Istio or OWA district of Istio, which is based on upstream Istio, but we added like FIPS compliance support and we added um, um, some type of different architecture support, um, but you get full support from us. We actually support more than N minus one, we support N minus four. Excellent, great to know. Um... Yeah, so actually, I you know Christian, you work with Christian Posta. He's the field CTO of of Solo, and we're um, we've interacted on at least several occasions. He's the one who introduced us to the Glue API gateway, and which actually we support in our um, Vlingo Zoom platform. So you're you're saying then that anyone who uses the API gateway actually gets some mesh um, support in there? Okay, that's a great question. So Solo has Glue Edge and Glue Mesh product, right? So anyone who has Glue Mesh Enterprise, we would offer them Istio support. So Glue Edge is separate, which is the API gateway product you are mentioning. Okay, so just not to uh, confuse anyone with that. And thank you for clarifying because I thought, wow, look at that. We we could say we support service mesh, but no, not quite, <laughs> but that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Um, okay, so let's see here. Now, um, an interesting move that the Istio project took recently is that part of the Istio, I guess, package or platform, um, correct me if I'm using the incorrect terminology, but let's say the product was all microservices, but, and I think maybe there were five microservices in a certain area of the product, and the team decided to instead move those into a monolith. And a lot of people are just saying, wait, no way, we, you know, we're trying to get out of monoliths. Why is this, you know, a product that is, is so, um, I guess, um, microservices driven, right, or influenced, why would, in the world, would they go to um, a monolith? Can you explain that, what it is that happened and and uh, why it happened? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Istio, when we first launched Istio, there are multiple control plane components. I believe there's at least four. So there's... Uh, Pilot, there's uh, Citadel, there is um, Mixer, there's also the Saika Injector components, there's also Gailey components, this five. <laughs> um, so when we first released Istio, we thought, you know, Istio, we want to eat our own dog food, right? We are providing all these benefits of microservices, uh, why can we use Istio itself to secure the connection among our own control plane components? So we actually run sidecar on each of the control plane components when we first released Istio, except a pilot, because pilot was the component that programming all the sidecar, uh, so we couldn't have uh, like a secular dependencies on that. Um, but all the other components were running on the sidecar proxy and we were using that to secure communication to observe what are the activities going on within our own microservices as part of the control plane but recently i think it was a year ago not just very recently but a year ago uh, istio actually took a pause on our control plane components and we started to ask 
ourselves, you know, do we meet the requirements of running microservices, right? Typically, uh, developers uh, are looking at microservices because the services are produced by different teams. The services have their own delivery schedules, right? Because each uh, team can fastly re release their services on their own schedule without coordination. And also typically they're using different programming languages. It's free to use whatever language you pick. But we look at Istio control plan components. They were all written in Go, so didn't check that checkbox of using different programming language. And we always release Istio control plan along with the Istio release together. We've never had a release where we just release Mixer or Gaily. In fact, our user doesn't really know, like how do you install one component of Istio, but get the rest of stuff function. Uh, we never teach them to do that. We always tell them this is like one thing released together. You always install them together. Um, so that's the second thing we check. The third thing we check is um, from a user perspective, how are our users going to operate, install, and config um, these five components? And we find out our, our user actually thought they were complicated. Instead of we install and upgrade and config one component, uh, they need to do five and, uh, you know, especially with multi-cluster configuration, they have to point out to like the Gailey instance, the Mixer instance on the remote plane. So it was very cumbersome for our user. So with that three reasons, we come to the conclusion, you know, we don't check the checkbox for building microservices for our control plane component for the simplicity of our user. It's just best to consolidate them into one single component. So our user have one thing to install, one thing to upgrade, one thing to uh, config, and one logs to check out the things when control plane goes wrong. Uh, it actually turned out really well. I actually believe a lot of users come back to us uh, at IstioCon earlier this year. They made comments like Istio is drastic simplified because the control plane component consolidation and also because the user community was so much focusing on making Istio simple to adopt with commands like istiocado analyze to help you figure out what's going on with your cluster. Yeah, so really interesting journey. I'm glad, you know, the community went through all that. And uh, I'm super excited to see all the outputs uh, from our user, really positive. Yeah, nice. And I, of course, will give a shameless plug for our uh, Tomas and I just finished a book that's been published called Strategic Monoliths and Microservices, Driving Innovation Using Purposeful Architecture. Now, the monolith in this case is very purposeful. It has a very specific um, strategic kind of uh, maneuver to support innovation, ongoing innovation. And I think this is a great example of that. And while we may be looking more at line of business, you know, kinds of applications um, overall with, say, domain-driven design influence, I think that even kind of technical um, services, so to speak, or applications can apply the same kind of uh, architecture. Now, question for you, and maybe you don't know this at, at the sort of, you know, internal level, but have those five components still maintain their own separate models of, you know, because I think there is a model involved with each of those, whether or not it's, you know, like clearly modeled as a domain model, perhaps not. But do you know if, if the decision to go with a monolith has, has maintained, you know, still maintain the modularity of those five components separate from each other with, you know, careful integration between them where needed, or has everything kind of fused together? Do you have any idea? So I think you are asking from the code base perspective, right? Are they merged together from a code base perspective? Yeah, like did you sort of take the f five 
individual microservices that kind of represented five different models, if you will, you know, software models and um, what was, you know, the components associated with those models. That when you brought those into the um, to a monolithic architecture, did those five um, areas or models stay sort of cleanly separated from each other, but just benefiting from the packaging or the deployment unit of uh, monolith? Or do you see that those five models are kind of merging, maybe getting a little tangled together? Any ideas there? Yeah, definitely a little bit tangled together. We actually see some of our components are completely merged into pilot, which was the main component that does like the config, um, config the Envoy sidecar proxy. Um, I think the security component might still be on its own within the same Istio repository, but we've kind of removed like the Gailey components. Um, the mixer component is also gone because we distribute that work to Envoy Sidecar Proxy. The Sidecar Injector um, was merged into Pilot. I think many of the security uh, function was also merged into Pilot, um, but there may be some still remains by its own. Yeah, but definitely the intermingled pattern that you were just referring to. Okay. Well, maybe um, it's not as important in this case, but Perhaps uh, some months or years down the road, you might recall this conversation and, and say, hmm, maybe we should have kept those five things separate. But I have no idea. I can't, I can't uh, you know, offer any suggestions on that. But I was curious. I, I think that what can happen in those situations is that the code will tend to merge together and, and kind of inter, be interwoven. But interesting, too, that you decided to keep the... the um, security um, component separate, which says it's probably at least a separate kind of response, you know, concern, responsibility um, that's completely different. So interesting. Yeah, in our case, it's a little bit different because two of the components, like Gailey and Mixer, their function was either removed or distributed to Envoy sidecar, so the control plane no longer needs those functions. Um, in a sense, so that was easy. Um, the security we still need them, so we keep them separate mostly. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense then. Yeah. So it's actually kind of become a a smaller um, application now, I guess. Yeah. I say. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Very good um, to know that. And probably then you you're quite comfortable with that merging of of the various models, but with still with security separate. Nice. Um, oh, and one other thing that, that I thought of when you said that, you know, Istio is implemented with the Go programming language, I'm sure you have experience with other programming languages. Can you tell the listeners, like, should they be using Go for application development or is it more for, you know, sort of the, the system level, which I would say Istio is more of a system level, mm-hmm. um, you know, of of implementation. What What's your advice on that? What's your experience with Go? Well, I would say if you are coming from a background of C or C++, I think Go would be uh, very comfortable for you to pick up. But as an application developer, you should be able to feel free to use the language you feel mostly comfortable because learning a new language does take time and effort, right? If, especially if you don't have C or C++ background, like the some of the syntax and the concept in Go could take some time for you to grasp. So I would recommend you to stick with your language if you don't have special requirements. Yeah, and I, I think what uh, interests people so much about Go is that it compiles to native language, right? And and you kind of get that for free. Personally, I have, you know, I know enough about Go probably to be dangerous, but um, my understanding of the way interfaces are are um, implemented in the language or designed in the language, that it, it seems a little odd to me in that use, but maybe as you say for, and I do know C++ and I program for, you know, 16 years in C and C++ combined. And uh, so, I feel 
comfortable with those, although I would say there are reasons why I'm happy I'm not using them anymore. But but that is not necessarily even a point with Go because, you know, Go doesn't have, you know, you're not going to get a segmentation fault from a stray pointer, you know, access or something like that. So, you know, a different level of, of reason why I would not um, want to use C or C++ at this time. But it, it's interesting that maybe system level is the definite specialty use of the language and maybe not so great for applications, but I'm certain that many people are using Go for application level development as well. So it's just an interesting topic to me, not, not to uh, try to draw some really important contrast or boundaries around its use. But uh, interesting to know that, that uh, you probably picked it up very quickly with your background. Yeah, I'm actually not sure I pick up very quickly. That's why I was like, you know, if you don't feel very comfortable about C or C++ and you don't have a reason, maybe you shouldn't. In fact, most of our samples we provide in Surface Mesh are actually not written in Go. A lot of them are in Python, Java, you know, Node.js. So <laughs> part of the reason is we're trying to teach people, you know, Surface Mesh can support all these great languages for you. So, you know, have to stuck on one language if you don't feel comfortable. Uh, but with the Istio project, we didn't have a great choice because that's, the, like you said, it's more system. And also it was started that way, you know, there's no need to change it. Yeah, really, ex I, okay, so I bring up this topic maybe a little bit shy even of asking, but we learned something good, you know, you're actually polyglot, but using Go and what your team considers the best places. So that's that's a very responsible decision of you. Yeah. Um, so, okay, let's talk about the future with Service Mesh. Where do you think the near future and maybe even a little bit distant future is with uh, Service Mesh and Istio? So I think the Service Mesh project uh, industry is going pretty wired with a lot of competitors out there, right? We are not doing a great job to all our users, I would say, because the fact the user have to spend a lot of time to figure out what's the right service mesh for me and how do I pick, how do I learn? It's a hard space for all our user to navigate, I would say. What I certainly hope is, you know, the industry would consolidate on a leading service mesh project, uh, same as Kubernetes, right? I remember five years ago, I had to learn Apache Mesos. I have to learn Docker Swarm. I had to also learn Kubernetes. Each have their own syntax. I have to go to different conferences trying to learn, you know, what's the strategic one that we should bet against, right? It's very hard for the user to spend tons of time and energy and money to figure out what's the right one to use because they are afraid of picking the wrong one and they could stuck there and they still couldn't move on to Kubernetes even today, right? We've probably seen that with some of the user. Um, so what I'm really hoping is uh, we could have one service mesh that could be, you know, like the the best service mesh or the dominant service mesh for Kubernetes at least. So whoever is batting against the Kubernetes platform, which is the easy bat, you know, they will already know what service mesh they will be using and service mesh would be fairly boring as part of the infrastructure within Kubernetes. So user would just be enable one thing, they got mutual TS, maybe enable another thing, you know, they can do traffic shifting, so really very much uh, prefer reduce the complexity, you know, the landscape of service mesh for our user. That's one of my favorite topics, right? Reduce the complexity, um, force simplicity wherever possible, right? And, and uh, excellent choice for, you know, the future direction. Um, and I have to say, know, I face and my team faces decisions like not necessarily service mesh, which one do we choose, but even just programming language or cloud environment, 
you know, what's best suitable for our team? What's the simplest way to go? Should we be using AWS directly or should we go with Google Cloud Platform? Or is there this sort of intermediate platform that that simplifies that and you just don't want to get it wrong? And then, you know, oh, should we be using Java um, for serverless as in, you know, AWS Lambda? Or should we be using javascript and oh what if you know let me ask people well javascript is great but if you have a very large application you know you shouldn't use javascript maybe try typescript instead oh but typescript you know and it's it's just this endless you know source of rolling the dice as it were you know it's just it's just like you said it's kind of this big gamble what do we decide on and it's great that istio and your use of Envoy and so forth is has gained this traction that is reassuring to the industry and this company now, you know, solo with a billion dollar um, valuation and a solid, you know, business plan and, and so forth. This is an excellent position to, to run with, you know, this kind of decision. So I, I think you're going to be successful at that. And in conjunction with that statement um, or statements, what is the vision of Solo and where is the future going to take you moving forward? That's a great question. So Solo, um, I used to think of Solo as focusing on, you know, application network connectivity, right? Not only just the edge, but also at the service mesh, right? In inter among your services, which is why you've seen Glue Edge and Glue Mesh product. Um, most recently, I started to think about Solo as not just, you know, solving these two challenges for a user, right? Solo is now looking at something bigger, uh, not only Envoy Istio, but also some of the interesting technologies and how they intersect. For example, we just announced GraphQL, right? We are announcing support for GraphQL. So if you want to have a declarative way to get your data, right? GraphQL, uh, we provide, bring them to Envoy and Istio. So if you are microservices looking at GraphQL, you know, that's something we're very interested in support. Uh, the other thing is eBPF, which is a, another thing that's being a lot of people are asking, you know, how do you position eBPF and Service Mesh? So we're looking at uh, providing a complementary solution for having eBPF on top of Service Mesh where you need additional, such as um, networking layer, system layer observability where Service Mesh couldn't provide or you need additional system level security where Service Mesh couldn't provide so eBPF can fill in. So I've seen Solo is expanding beyond our comfort zone, I would say, beyond what we have uh, with Envoy and Istio. We're now expanding into other technologies where our customer is taking us to. Yeah, interesting. And yeah, out of your comfort zone. But that's what innovation means, right? And yeah. kind of wear the uh, lab lab coat and pocket protector <laughs> for a long term. <laughs> um, excellent. Now, this is interesting. Uh, GraphQL in the sidecar? How, yeah, how does in that the work? sidecar or in the API gateway. Oh, it could okay. be both, yeah. So the idea is uh, very simple. Well, you uh, could have a data service, right, without GraphQL. And in the sidecar, we would be able to uh, generate uh, automatically, we could potentially like observe your traffic pattern, generate a schema, or you tell us the schema, and we loaded a schema in the sidecar. And based on the languages, uh, the protocol you are using, we load a, like a HTTP resolver for you if it's HTTP. So that resolver can help you uh, along with the schema to resolve the declarative query of GraphQL. So it's pretty interesting technology. We're actually right innovating as Solo. So does that mean that maybe um, Solo is moving toward 
artificial intelligence, you know, that could make you a double unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you, how do you uh, determine um, based on observation of traffic and so forth that a schema, uh, this particular schema needs to be generated, for example? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, so these are the things we're still innovating. So yeah, it could be, you know, based on your common traffic, or if you are not trusting the generator, you, maybe it's best to just provide your own schema in that case. So you tell us exactly what type of schema you want to support. Yeah, all very uh, interesting and intriguing thoughts. So we look forward to, yeah, the future of that. and. Um, Let's try to have another conversation later when we see those um, uh, new components and, and so forth appear. That'd be very interesting to know about. That sounds great. Yeah, I would love to come back and uh, chat with you. So uh, anything that I've left out, anything that you would like to say about Service Mesh, Mesh Istio, Envoy, Solo, anything like that that maybe just I've not thought of? Uh, no, this is great. I really okay. enjoy our conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Ivan. Thank you so much for uh, joining us here for the podcast. And um, again, best wishes to you, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this interview, please subscribe and stay tuned for more. This podcast is sponsored and produced by Kalele, makers of Domo Roboto and the Zoom platform. To learn more, visit kalele.io. That's K-A-L-E-L-E dot I-O. Thanks for listening.